Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... Oh man, they're cheeky, they love having fun, they are terrible tyrants when it comes to your car, windscreen wipers, they're hugely intelligent. New Zealand's flying rapscallion is in dire straits, but has the Kia's appetite for window wipers eaten up all its public goodwill? They are just smart birds, so smart that they get themselves in a lot of trouble. That's journalist Michael White. He wrote a piece for last month's North and South magazine after taking a trip down to Fiordland for a conference held by the Kia Conservation Trust. But we really love them because they're sort of clowns. You look at them and you just can't help but laugh at them, some of the things they get up to. In this test, the wild Kia is offered some butter, a favourite Kia treat, sandwiched between two plastic cylinders. It can only get the reward by dismantling the apparatus in exactly the reverse order in which it was assembled. This would tax the ingenuity of a monkey or even a young child. After a bit of trial and error, the Kia has solved the puzzle. How do you think that Kia are viewed by everyday people in New Zealand? Well, there's probably a mix of views on that. I think they've gone from being an enemy, farmers... Um, 30, 40, 50 years ago used to shoot them. But they've gone from birds that had a bounty on their head to birds that we sort of see as a bit of a national treasure. And we do see them as as clowns. If it's your car that's just had its windscreen wiper ripped off or some bit of rubber seal taken off the top of uh, the roof, then, yeah, the, the whole idea of them being a clown sort of pales a bit. Here's Tamsin Orr Walker, co founder and chair of the Kia Conservation Trust. Children in particular find Kia very engaging um, because they can actually, you know, see why they do these things. I mean, uh, I remember telling a bunch of children about my brother who, um, very, very long ago, pulled apart a clock just to see how it would work and couldn't put it back together and got into trouble. And it wasn't because he was trying to destroy the clock, it's because he was trying to find out how to make it work. And I think that, that children can really identify with that fact that you know, this is a very curious species, just like themselves, learning about a difficult environment which it's in and adapting just like um, we do as humans. The Kia is a little bit like avian marmite. Everybody knows about them. Not everybody likes them, but, you know, they've got character. They've got spunk. But that happy-go-lucky nature can work against them. Everybody knows we need to protect Kiwi. They are fragile, they're flightless, they're sort of like a delicate China tea set in a shop full of bulls. Kia are scavengers, opportunists, survivors. They're industrious, they make do with what's around, whether it's a discarded pie or a rusty nail head. And let's be honest, they're kind of annoying. They peck and they swoop and they'll nick your passport right out of your hand or demolish your car. But in reality, the care is in a spot of bother. There's only 3,000 to 7,000 of them. It's really hard to get an idea of exactly how many care there are. Uh, but that's the best estimate. Another estimate is one to 5,000. Say there's three to 7,000. Um, that's not many. When you compare them with Kiwi, where there are nearly 70,000. We don't think of them as an endangered species because we can see them. We see them a whole lot more than we might see Kiwi. Because... 
if you are driving along some of these roads, you'll inevitably see them. Or if you're tramping around the tops, you'll see a bunch of care coming around your campsite or, or just along the track. So we tend to think that they're not that in danger, but the reality is much more serious than that. So why are there so few care in the wild these days? Well, historically, they're off to a very bad start. Because the early settlers, the European settlers who came here and put sheep on the land, the kia came along and they would peck at the back of the sheep. And that created a wound and the, the sheep often died from that. So farmers didn't like them at all and there was a bounty put on their head and for many decades this existed and farmers would actually go out and shoot them and you'd get a, a, um, a sizable amount of money for bringing in a beak from a, from a kia. That was ended in the 70s and kia numbers sort of stabilised after that. But even still, there are instances today of people killing kia because kia upset their lifestyle or attack their property. That's unfortunately the nature of kia interacting with humans. There's sometimes going to be some unhappy endings. The bounty lasted for more than 100 years before it was phased out sometime in the 1970s. More than 150,000 kia were killed, according to official records. In reality, it's probably tens of thousands more than that. But other threats persist. So a lot of old buildings up until the 90s used lead nails, lead flashings. It's a soft, malleable metal Kia are interested, they hang around on roofs and they love playing with things. And so lead, because it is soft, they can twist it round in their mouths and their beaks and they eat the lead and it inevitably causes poisoning. And it's horrendous what it does. It affects them terribly, it affects their nervous system and they either are affected so badly that they lose their mobility and are hit by cars or, or they actually die of the lead poisoning. Now, if they're caught soon enough, they can be treated. There's a special treatment, but it's really difficult to then take the birds back into the wild and stop them from doing the same thing all over again and eating lead that you'll find around in the built-up environment. The main problem is that humans have interacted with care. They've fed them, and, of course, the care think that's a great idea I'll hang around here I'll hang around in Arthur's Pass village and that's where some of these dangers are like the the lead nails on buildings it leads to them getting this poison and yeah a large number of Kia have died from this. It's been a big week for the Kia named on Tuesday as the winner of the 2017 bird of the year contest but it hasn't been the best of weeks for all of the alpine parrots. A care with lead poisoning has been taken to a wildlife hospital in Christchurch by police after it was seen vomiting in Arthur's Pass. Conservationists are keen to catch and treat another care in the same area, which is also showing signs of the illness. And it's an ongoing problem that everyone's trying to find a fix for, but often the building owners, even when they're offered the opportunity to have the lead removed from their building for one reason or another, have chosen not to. You mentioned predation before. This obviously is something that also applies to kakapo and kiwi, but, I mean, kakapo are sort of pretty thick birds, you know, and kiwi can't fly. Kia, on the other hand, can fly. Why is predation a big issue for them? Part of the problem, again, is how intelligent or inquisitive um, the kia are, often with a predator, whereas another species might think, oh, a predator, a runaway, Kia just decide, ah, oh, what's this? I'll investigate. And they don't run away. And unfortunately, their eggs can be eaten by stoats or rats. 
possums or ferrets can actually take on a full-grown kia, and, and kia grow up to 800 grams or a kilogram, so they're a reasonably sizable bird, but they still can be eaten by ferrets, feral cats, and occasionally they're kind of right on the edge of what stoats can, can manage to attack, but the stoats will get the chicks and the eggs as well. And feral cats are badass, eh? They're kind of like the alphas of, of the New Zealand forest. Yeah, they are, and as I say, it's, it's particularly in the eastern side of the Southern Alps um, that feral cats are increasingly a problem, and they've kind of extended up to the areas where Kira are most found because of rabbits. That's the assumption that they've followed the rabbits right up to the bush line and have then extended where they're preying up into the bush and finding Kira as well. Um, there are fewer areas on the west coast which are as suitable for feral cats where down the west coast you, the main problem is stoats and um, and rats. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and this is linked to predation, but a more recent threat to care has been the use of 1080. Take me through this sort of issue as in any uh, story with 1080 involved. It's complicated and foggy. And controversial. Inevitably. Um, 1080 is a poison that doesn't always discriminate what it kills. Unfortunately, the best tool that we have at the moment for covering large areas of the New Zealand backcountry is this poison. And so it's dropped aerially um, by dock and it will kill a lot of the predators and it will kill the rats and then the stoats will eat the rats and, and die from secondary poisoning. Unfortunately, Kia are really inquisitive and they will investigate these baits, the cereal baits that are dropped with the 1080 in them, and it will kill them. And there have been terrible examples of this happening. And just last week, unfortunately, there were again uh, examples of Kia being killed during a 1080 operation up in the Matukituki Valley near Wanaka. Six Kia in Otago have been killed after a drop of the pesticide 1080 with the Department of Conservation waiting on six post-mortem results to determine whether they ingested the poison. The Kia were among a dozen being monitored by the Kia Conservation Trust, which is trying to find out how predators target the birds. It's an awful, awful situation that Doc has to try and confront. Do they carry on doing 1080 poisoning, which will inevitably kill some Kia? but over the long term will help preserve the species by knocking down predator numbers? Or do they do nothing and watch the number of kia drop because of predators eating them? This is a big old dilemma for conservationists. How to protect a species without creating an artificial bubble for them to survive in? Tamsin Orr Walker has some thoughts. I guess one of the things we have to recognise is that we've so altered this landscape of ours Um, You know, it wasn't that long ago that it was barely impacted by humans. You know, we haven't managed the environment as we should have. We've got damaged waterways. We've, um, you know, lost a lot of our indigenous forested areas. And all of those things supported the the wildlife that was here. So we we have played God, you know, essentially, and, um, and we need to put things right. We introduce these species into a, a land that they shouldn't have been in. And so our native species are suffering from this. So we do have a responsibility, I think, to try and do our best. But there's no perfect solution in this. 1080 at the moment, until we come up with better solutions, seems to be the best answer that we've got at hand, even though it's certainly not perfect and it's not what everyone wants to use. 
The thing is, New Zealand has a lot of threatened species. There are 70 birds, just birds, classified as nationally vulnerable, nationally endangered, or nationally critical. And this can create a sort of hierarchy of need. You've got a whole bunch of different animals almost competing for attention and exposure. That's a dangerous game to get into, ranking them, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's got their favourite species. I mean, if you look at the the Bird of the Year contest uh, every year, people are so passionate about various species. But I think also that, that if you're going to do a ranking just on, well, this is the most endangered species and then this one's got a few more, I mean, that's... that's a, probably a realistic way of looking at it, which is the most threatened on a pure numbers basis. But I think you've just got to look a little bit more holistically at an environmental basis. And if you can help a species like the Kia by controlling predators, inevitably you are going to be helping a whole lot of other species as well. I know we've got limited resources, but I just think you've got to look at it holistically but by the same token, you can champion whatever species you really love. And Kia are a pretty easy species to love. The Kiwi is not a tough sell when it comes to conservation initiatives, right? Because the Kiwi without human intervention would be absolutely screwed. And they are quite sort of charismatic and beloved creatures. The Kia, it's, it's a different kind of story. People see them as sort of mischievous and dastardly and cheeky and that maybe that public image works against them in a sense. Yeah, it does. I, I very much get what you mean. I mean, the old kiwi is pretty blind. It snuffles around. It can't fly anywhere. It's an easy target, that's for sure. But Kia, you'd think that they should be able to help themselves. But when you look at those numbers and think how few Kia there are, you realise, man, we've really got ourselves in a bad situation here with Kia. I mean, it's People do love Kia, and they love seeing them. And it is fantastic that they can see one of our rarest birds just by driving down State Highway 6 along the West Coast or, or across to Milford Sound. But you really do have to uh, worry about their future when there's all these things stacked up against Kia. They really do face more dangers and, and threats to them than just about any other species in New Zealand. What are some of the solutions, some of the answers that, that we have sort of come up with to at least to kickstart the, the Kia renaissance, I suppose? Well, as far as lead poisoning goes, there's a strong effort to get people to remove lead from buildings, especially in the areas where Kia are known to hang out, round Arthur's Pass, for example. But there's a whole lot of areas with dumps with old lead in them that Kia are hanging around. So we really do have to put more effort into that. We have to stop feeding them so that Kia stop hanging around humans and, and habitation areas, what they call scrounging areas, because Kia know that they're going to get fed. And there is, you know, really good work being done on that, but it's still disheartening when you pull up at the Homer Tunnel, say, going to Milford Sound and see people jumping out and feeding Kia, and you think, you know, the message has got a long way to get through yet. As far as predation goes, uh, you know, there's endless work being done in New Zealand about how to control predators, but each species is different and each area requires a different answer. But I think there's an awful lot of trapping that's gone on in areas and 1080 work has has worked in some areas. But even still, 75% of where the Kia live gets no pest control at all. And so they're really out there on their own. So I guess one of the ways that we can help them in the future is to increase the area 
of predator control. Because it's really obvious. If you help Kia by controlling predators, 70% of their nests in any year will be successful. They'll produce chicks. If you don't do predator control, then only 40% of those nests will be successful. And in a mast year, when there's an explosion of predators, only 10% of the nests will produce chicks. And that's pretty devastating when you've already got a population of a bird right on a knife edge. Why do you think it is important that humans do what they can to ensure that the species survives and thrives? Well, we've created the problem for them, really, haven't we? We've introduced all these threats and dangers to them. It's not as if the care are responsible for the, the threats that they face. So I think we do have a responsibility. And already we've seen care disappear from certain parts of New Zealand, from the Catlins, from the Blue Mountains. Um, they're really endangered up in the Nelson Lakes National Park, uh, where they used to be thriving. We run the risk of seeing them disappearing, certainly from the east coast uh, of of the Southern Alps, that, and perhaps ending up just in pockets down in South Westland or Fiordland. And that would be a tragedy. I mean, the worst case scenario is that that they go extinct completely. Um, But I think the goal has got to be a bit better than saving them from extinction. We really want to see them flourish, just as we do all our native species. And so given that we've created the problem, it's up to us to do as much as we can to help them uh, recover and then thrive. Some of the most important things, I think, is for people to talk about care, to get that awareness out to other people specifically not to feed kia. So if you go into an area where kia are, don't feed them because that causes all sorts of problems down the line and you're effectively killing those birds um, that you're um, you know, wanting to interact with. And also get that message across to other people. Um, I also think one of the other things that people don't realise is really important is to actually send in sightings of that they see. Um, a lot of the birds that we've got in particular populations are banded and sending us information about those birds as well as um, birds in the area that aren't banded gives us a really good idea of how here are surviving um, movements in populations and also just how well they're doing uh, in terms of reproductivity. So if we're starting to see a lot of fledglings coming through on the sightings database, so the care um, database.nz is where people can go to lodge their sightings, then you know we, we can get an idea of just how well that population is starting to do. And particularly when we're seeing you know some populations have done well in the past but then have crashed, we can then go in there and start trying to identify what um, either the new threat is or what the ongoing threat is to that population and help support those birds. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please give us a rating so other people can find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Michael White and Tamsin Orr-Walker. Is it true that a collective group of carers known as a circus? <laughs> yes. Yes, and I actually have no idea where that came from initially. But... <laughs> I, think, I think I've got an idea or two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <yeah. laughs>